We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Senator Ron Johnson from my home state of Wisconsin. Senator, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. I want to know why you left God's country. <laughs> yeah, I don't really for, have for, an answer. For D.C.? <laughs> right. For but, the swamp. Uh, no, glad, you, glad you're here. here. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we want to start by talking about, and actually this is going to be the focus of our conversation, is tech censorship. Now, Senator, you've recently been <laughs> censored by YouTube, which means you've been censored by Google. Tell us about what has unfolded over the course of the last several days. Well, it's it's pretty much been the same phenomenon. Uh, I tell the truth. It's it's the truth. The as I call them, the COVID gods mm-hmm. don't want to hear. Uh, and the COVID gods, by the way, are you know, led by Dr. Fauci and the agency heads, the Biden administration, and then their uh, lackeys in the media and social media. And for whatever reason, during the COVID crisis. They don't want to allow any second opinions. There is one narrative when mm-hmm. it comes to COVID, and, and it's the, the narrative that uh, Dr. Fauci wants to push. And so, you know, I'm 66 years old. It's, it's, as long as I've been alive, when it comes to a serious illness, I would consider COVID a very serious pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, I've never downplayed the tragedy that is COVID. Uh, I've always heard you should get, get a second, maybe third opinion. Mm-hmm. And so... Very early on in the pandemic, you know, the, the, the first time I, I heard that there may be a cheap, generic, repurposed drug that just that could be uh, helpful. As a matter of fact, a drug that Anthony Fauci, I think it was in 2005, discovered that in vitro, this, this kills off the original SARS virus. Mm. Well, this could, I mean, this could end the pandemic before it even really leaves the barn. Um, I've been pushing for early treatment. Mm. Uh, and so that connected me to a global network of medical, uh, expert medical, preeminent medical doctors and medical researchers that, that have another opinion, that have had the courage and compassion to actually treat COVID patients. Mm. And so, you know, when I find somebody that, uh, that I know that has COVID, I, I connect them with one of those doctors. Mm. And I have now repeatedly seen how these early treatment protocols, and they're multi-drug protocols. It depends on the progression of the disease. It also depends on how early you start treatment. You know, some of these doctors, I think it's Brian Tyson out in the West Coast. He's one of the first ones. I, I had his partner, George Freed, testify in, in November. Uh, by the way, when, when I had the, held that hearing, uh, myself, uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch, Dr. Harvey Risch, the, the you know, senior epidemiological professor at Yale, right. no slouch, George Freed, Harvard trained, uh, the New York Times all referred to us as, as the snake oil salesman of the Senate. Mm. And by the way, Don McCulloch already had contracted COVID because he was treating patients and he was putting his own life at risk. And you got the New York Times and the Democrat witness calling him snake oil salesman. It's sick right. what's happened. But anyway, I, I, I digress. <laughs> um, An important digression. Uh, so the result of my contact with these doctors is I am exposed to all kinds of different concerns, mm. ideas, uh, medical treatments that the closed mindedness of the Fauci's of the world, it's, it's just jaw dropping. I mean, e- 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 I mean, we, I, I could go on forever, but, you know, I'm very careful or I certainly try to be very careful at only talking in the public about things that have been verified. I mean, probably the biggest, the biggest thing I've been censored for is the fact that I'm just on, for example, radio hits. I, I just quote the numbers on the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and the VAERS system. FDA has a similar one for drugs. Right. The VAERS is for vaccines, VAERS is for drugs. And so when I say, for example, you know, the, the drug that uh, many of these doctors are really thinking is, is a is a wonder drug in this case and you take a look at how it's being used in for example india or mexico city or whatever i mean there are plenty of examples where this looks pretty effective um ivermectin it's the drug that the fda trashed that that merck the, the 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 company that patented it you remember this is a nobel prize winning drug it was termed right. by the world health organization a miracle drug it saved 
I don't know how many lies because it's an antiparasitic, but it has other properties, as so many drugs do. Mm. Um, it, over 26 years on the FAIR system, has 15 deaths on average reported per year in association with ivermectin. Now, again, both FAIRs and VAERS, the two big criticisms is they don't prove causation. Understand that. So, I mean, even though those are 15 deaths report, doesn't necessarily mean that ivermectin caused those 15 deaths. Right. But again, 15 deaths. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is about 70 per year deaths reported. 70, 70. The, the annual seasonal flu vaccine, on average, is about 80 deaths reported on the VAERS system per year. You, you know what we're up to on the COVID vaccine in less than a year? What is it? 19,500. No, no, nothing to see here. Um, by the way, almost close to 6,000 those deaths have occurred on days zero, one, or two following vaccine. Now, again, it, it doesn't prove causation. Right. But it's something I'm concerned about. It's right. something other people that use their own minds and you know, their, their own eyes and ears, and they look at that and they go, well, that concerns me. I mean, get the, get the, these people, people aren't stupid. They also recognize what a deadly disease COVID can be, particularly right. if you're elderly, particularly if you have comorbidities, but not particularly if you're like a child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just have belief in individuals using their, their brains, their own uh, rationalizations, uh, their own decision-making, their own health autonomy, their mm -hmm. own freedom to make those decisions for themselves, but that's not allowed. And so I get censored for that. Yeah, VAERS is an interesting question because there's this obvious dichotomy of whether VAERS proves causation, which as you say, that's not proven on VAERS. But at the same time, why would YouTube censor somebody for pointing out that there are um, there, there are things to pay attention to in the VAERS system? Um, VAERS, how seriously should people be taking that 19,000 number, given that they may not be all verified and they may not all be related to COVID. When you look at that number, what does it say to you? Well, so the other criticism about VAERS is it dramatically underreports. The you know, there was this Harvard study said it, it only reports about one percent of adverse events. Now I think with COVID, because people are talking about it, I think there's but it's not easy to upload it. And doctors really aren't using it all that much from you know the reports I get. It's it's kind of incumbent on people to report it themselves. And, you know, most people, I mean, a lot of my colleagues have never heard of it when mm -hmm. I bring, bring it up. So if you're at 19,500, you know, I've, I've seen other analyses, or analyses saying it's probably maybe 10 times that in terms mm -hmm. of, I, I don't know. But all I know is VAERS is 19,500. By the way, total adverse events has now exceeded 900,000. And, and, and the drug of choice, you know, the, the, the one that Fauci actually paid attention to, the one that... Uh, the pharmaceutical companies can make thousands of dollars per dose. It costs over $3,000 per treatment, remdesivir. Mm -hmm. The studies on it are incredibly weak, by the way. Right. I mean, you know, but that's fine because it, it's putting a lot of money in big pharma's pockets. That has over 1,600 deaths mm. uh, reported on the fare system so far. 1,600. Again, ivermectin's 15, hydroxychloroquine averages 70, flu vaccine's 80. Remdesivir is over sixteen hundred. The the flu va or the COVID vaccines over nineteen thousand five hundred. Which 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 one do you think you ought to be a little concerned about? And and the FDA and the CDC and maybe even the news media mm -hmm. ought to pay attention to it. And I, I think what the the reason I am so passionate about this. I was going to ask that because my advocacy for it. People are contacting me. Mm. I mean, they're, they're reaching out. They want some help. I mean, for example, the vaccine injured. They just want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be believed. A, a classic, I'm going to say an evil uh, example of censorship was when after my June event in Milwaukee where I had uh, Ken Rutgers, the, the former Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame liner, linebacker who called me up because, you know, he, I'm outspoken about these things. His wife suffered the vaccine injury, the neurological mm. symptoms. She was part of a, a Facebook group of about 2,000 people. From a COVID vaccine or from? From, from the COVID vaccine. Okay. You know, some of these people know that's how I got in touch with Brianne Dressen, who was mm -hmm. part of the AstraZeneca file, and, and uh, Maddie DeGarry, little 12-year-old girl. Now she's 13. She, she's in a wheelchair. She can't eat. She has a feeding tube. Mm. She was part of the Pfizer trial. Mm. Th those companies have completely, just completely cast them aside. They're, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not paying for their their 
medical bills are just completely ignoring them. They've, you know, I, I, I think Dree's uh, adverse event was even left out of the information reported to the FDA. Mm. So anyway, um, w- once we held that event, uh, Facebook dismantled within about two or three days, their group of about 2000 grew to about 5,000 because mm. people heard of this and they, you know, they all, they, they wanted that support group. You know, there, there were, there were a couple of women that committed suicide because the inner vibrations are so severe. So, so they got this group and they're, they're helping people, counseling them not to commit suicide and you know, trying to find medical treatment, try, again, try, trying to get noticed so that the authorities and, and their doctors will admit what the root cause of their maladies are so they can treat them. Mm. And Facebook dismantled their support group. They dismantled their groups. I mean, that, that, that was, you know, Bree Dressen, who who's, has done so much counseling, you know, some personal friends of hers on this group have committed suicide. She, in, in our November event, she read the final email she got from one of her friends who committed suicide. She said, I just, Bree, I apologize. I can't take this anymore. Mm. You, ha- you have to carry on for me. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think the same event, Bree said, you know, she knew of within, the, within those groups, didn't know them personally, something like a dozen more people had committed suicide. These inner vibrations, this neurological harm is so severe, it's causing people to end their life. And yet Facebook dismantles their groups so they, they can't stay in touch with each other. They can't counsel people not to commit suicide. And of course, Fauci and Janet Woodcock and you know Francis Collins, the, the COVID gods and the health agencies <laughs> completely ignored and as do the drug companies. And, and it's, it's, it's even probably more, as outrageous as it is for our health agency authorities, this is their job. They, 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 they're the ones that approve this on emergency use. They ought to be looking into these at least suspicious adverse events they're just blowing them off, but it's the drug companies. It's their drug. They're making billions. They, they won't even cough up the money to pay for the medical treatments of the people in their trials. No, this is outrageous. So you can, kind of, you can see my passion build here because I've met with him. I've heard the stories. I've hugged Ernest, who's sobbing because he lost his 16-year-old son, his only son. He's a single dad, his best friend in life died shortly after getting the vaccine. So, so again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm personally affected by it. Absolutely. And then it gets to this question of even if any of these, any particular event wasn't connected to the COVID vaccine, which we don't know, even if, they, even if it wasn't, how does Facebook shutting down a support group make it better? How does it make our conversation about the science and about the information better? Does it not just make it worse? Well, from their standpoint, because they have an agenda. They want the vaccine in every arm. I can't, I don't know for sure why, but it sure seems to me like they are using the vaccine to be able to control human behavior. I mean, what, what, what better way to control individuals if you know you've got to have a vaccine passport and oh you're not you, you haven't got the fourth booster you're not up you're not to snuff with you haven't got the sixth booster yet we're, we're not going to allow you into grocery stores mm. we're not going to i mean they could so control and restrict your life and your freedom and they've already they're, they're already doing it mm-hmm. i mean americans have to wake up to what's happening around the world they're basic internment camps in Australia. You know, Germany is put on, you know, basically quarantining all unvaccinated individuals. And you go, have to ask yourself, why? If, if, if it's, it would be unacceptable regardless, but if the vaccine were 100% effective and once vaccinated, there's no way you could spread it. I mean, you could at least argue that the mandates had some purpose. Mm-hmm. But now that we know that even fully vaccinated people with boosters can contract COVID, they can transmit it. In the UK, uh, in in a recent four-week time period, 78% of the people that died of the Delta variant, which is about 80% of their cases, 78% of the people in the UK were fully vaccinated. So what is the purpose of the mandates? I mean, it's, it's, this is this is so bizarre. This makes no sense whatsoever. 
other than they want to use the vaccines to control. And by the way, there's a, there's an excellent video of Anthony Foucher and Richard Bright. Mm. And by the way, it was, it was Dr. Bright who was head of BARDA that that sabotaged the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine. He, he was asked to do this through a, a different procedure to make it available for doctors. And he didn't want to do that. So he instead wrote up or had FDA write up an emergency use authorization, knowing that he was basically killing it. Mm. You know, so you can use it, but only in hospital and only as part of a trial. So, so they just poisoned the use of hydroxychloroquine. Those two individuals are on a panel at the Milken Institute in mm-hmm. 2000, I think it's 2019. <laughs> and they're basically bemoaning the fact that we, we have yet to come up with a, a, a vaccine program that's a universal program that everybody gets a vaccine. I think they're in their mind thinking of flu vaccine. And one of them actually said, yeah, it's going to take a pandemic in order for us to basically accomplish that goal. Well, they got a pandemic and they're accomplishing that goal. So, again, there's, there's so many pieces of, of evidence here. What's also po- pointing toward that the use of the vaccine as a as a method of controlling everyone. How do you explain the lack of curiosity when it comes to potential treatments and the vaccine itself from people like Dr. Fauci and um, others? I mean, you can talk about journalists, you can talk about tech executives. They're all taking the vaccine. So what explains why they're so um, disinterested in having an open conversation about the vaccine? Well, you know, our education systems, our media, our news media for decades has been pushing the value of experts, mm-hmm. you know, in science. Yes. Dr. You know, Fauci is on candles, prayer candles. You know, every, every, every time I hear the, the term settled science, it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard. I mean, science is skeptical. Mm-hmm. Science is rarely ever fully settled. That's that. It's you know, we we know the Earth's not flat. I mean, yeah. there's there's plenty of science that is settled. But when you're when you're when you're talking about, for example, medical mm. science, I mean, every body is different. You know, there might be a drug that works for ninety percent of the people, but not for ten, or fifty percent of the people, but not for the other fifty. I mean, is that, if if it if it only works for thirty percent of the people, is it worth trashing? You know, there there are dozens of studies in both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Mm-hmm. And you do a meta-analysis of this, and it's looking like it's like somewhere between 60 and 80% effective, depending on whether you give it early or late. So, and, and, and again, you compare that to a safety data, why not give it a shot? So one of the greatest impediments to early treatment now is the fact that the, the people will never admit they're wrong. And I mean, just generally in the population. I mean, everybody bought into the experts, right? Everybody put their faith in Fauci. Right. You kind of don't want to admit that you put your faith in the wrong person mm-hmm. or the wrong agencies or in the media and the social media. So, so just as, as human beings, we say, ah, God, you know, I, took the, I took the jab. I, I really don't want to hear that there may be problems with it. Right. Just, you know, I, I just don't want to hear it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, and, you know, that's fine. But the heads of the agencies... The people like Dr. Bright, like that, that sabotage early treatment, the, the, the media and the social media that, that censored, for example, Dr. Corey's testimony in front of my committee. And, you know, so I got called snake oil salesman in the Senate. Yes. Hear me. Month later, I bring in Pierre Corey for the second time, by the way. The first time he testified in May talking about ter- ter- uh, corticosteroids mm-hmm. as opposed to ventilation. I had I've had doctors come up to me and say, you've saved my patient's life because of that testimony. That was in May of 2020. Mm. So fast forward to December. Uh, he comes on. The, 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 the earlier panel was was about a multi-drug uh, approach, you know, using all the above. And, and there's literally a cornucopia, <laughs> budesonide. There's a bunch of drugs that people are using successfully. But it is a multi-drug. It's not just one single drug. It's zinc. It's vitamin D. Right. Uh, we should talk about vitamin D a little later. <laughs> um, but but anyway, um, Pierre Corey was really talking about ivermectin. Some some pretty interesting studies came came forward. Uh, one in Argentina where they prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers, not one not one got COVID. Of the 400 that didn't, 58% got COVID. Mm. So, well, okay, okay, it's not a random controlled study, but that's pretty strong evidence in, in light of the fact that ivermectin is, has such an unbelievable safe, safety profile. Why not give it a shot? Right. But YouTube, after, after his 
his opening statement, his, his opening statement was powerful because my ranking member, Peters, was the only Democrat that attended, and he only attended for his opening statement where he trashed Pierre Corey, who's a Democrat, <laughs> and he basically called him a political hack. Right. And Pierre Corey didn't like that, so he came back with forceful, about 10 minutes worth of opening statement. That went viral, 8 million views on YouTube before they took it down. Mm-hmm. So why? What, why are they opposed to that information? Why are they opposed to early treatment? Again, is it just because the only solution for COVID has to be a vaccine? If, if, there, if there are early treatments, um, it may be impossible, if not very difficult, to get an emergency use authorization on a vaccine because that's the way the rules are written. Now, they're breaking rules left and right, so I'm, I'm not sure that would have been determinative. And of course, your investor is over $3,000 in treatment. The vaccine has put billions in the pockets of Big Pharma. Plus, it's giving these people what they've always wanted, a universal vac- vaccination program that they can use to control everybody's behavior. Is this an antitrust problem? Is is Google getting away with this because they have a monopoly with YouTube? Is Facebook getting away with this? I don't think our legal framework is great for what constitutes a monopoly and doing what Facebook does. Um, but are they getting away with this because of antitrust issues? And if so, and even if not, what can be done? So the power that the big tech companies have amassed is dangerous. Right. And our antitrust laws aren't designed to address it. Our, our, as I understand, I'm not a lawyer, but as I understand, right. our antitrust laws are primarily designed to consider consumer harm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know what, what, what does a trust do as it relates to... Um, but when you're give, given all the stuff for free, yeah. you don't pay for it all. Okay? Right. I mean, it's not exactly free because you're, you're giving all your information. Um, we're just not set up, to, set up to deal with that. So... In order to do something about this, it's going to have. To, I think it's going to require a legislative solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, an administration might want to use antitrust laws. Could try, they may fail. Uh, but I don't see a legislative solution because this works for the Democrats. I mean, you, you've got uh, uh, Dr. Robert uh, Epstein, mm-hmm. you know, the, the PhD psychologist from Harvard, voted for Hillary Clinton. He's the one that's pointing out that Google, he has evidence of it because he monitors this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, you, they manipulate their search to manipulate your voter preference. And he said it produced millions of votes for Hillary Clinton and for Democrats. Uh, right. Okay, so the Democrats like that power. Uh, and nobody talks about it. You know, the media's not going to report on how, all their power. Uh, take, take a look at the censorship of Hunter Biden's. Yes. Which Jack Dorsey later admitted was wrong. He admitted that Twitter made that mistake. So, you know, they, the Hillary Clinton campaign, that's we know, now we know that from John Durham's report. The Hillary Clinton campaign paid for the Russian, Russian disinformation sealed dossier. They paid for this whole Alpha Bank mm-hmm. hoax. Yes. Uh, they paid for this. This, this was the, the most consequential political dirty trick in history. So, so now we know that. Um, and, and the media was complicit in all that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And tech was complicit in all of it. Just across all of our institutions, there was complicity. And, and, and so the point being is that, that that was all about foreign influence on our elections, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The influence that, and I don't deny, Russia tries to influence our politics. So does China. I mean, you know, we do that to them too, okay? We, it's, it's a constant battle. Um, but the interference, the influence over our elections that foreign governments can exert pales. Hmm. But I don't know how many orders of magnitude versus the, the interference, the influence of media and big tech. Yeah. And again, I've, I've seen the polls. You know, had Biden voters known about Hunter Biden, Donald Trump would be president for a second term. That, that's the influence. But, but again, of course, media and big techs, they're not going to be outraged about that. Democrats aren't going to be outraged about that. And when I talk about it, eh, you get censored. Right. <laughs> so so, so and if the legislative solution isn't workable because for reasons that I think are, are very true, 
what what can Republicans do to push back on this? What can Republicans do to course correct not just uh, not just big tech, but also media and all of these institutions that are working against them? Well, it, it's going to take the free market. It really is, and you're you're seeing that. Uh, you know, Parler got shut down because big tech denied them servers, yes. so they they got their own server farm and they're back up. Uh, you know, YouTube now has Rumble mm-hmm. or BitChute, so. You know, at some point in time, you know, conservatives have to use what platforms are out there. I don't think we should abandon those, but we need to start gravitating toward uh, outlets that are that aren't going to censor us. Mm. Now, that's a real shame. I mean, part of the reason we are so divided in this country is we don't have a relatively unbiased, you know, middle of the road mainstream media. The media has gone so far left, as have Democrats. Um, There's there's no there's no center where the vast majority of Americans, who you know, by and large are pretty open-minded and pretty independent, uh, don't, don't identify strongly, you know, strong right-wing or strong, strong left-wing, but just you know, pretty, pretty open-minded, pretty middle of the road, they got no place to go. Yeah. So they, end up, they have to choose. And so they either choose right-wing media or they choose left-wing media. And you know th- there is misinformation on all sides of the political spectrum. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just it just polarizes this country. Yeah. Now I, I would argue that I, I do think you know outlets like Fox News or the Federalist. I mean, there's a balanced approach here because conservatives we believe in free speech. Right. We we want to see both sides of the argument. Yeah, we embrace it absolutely. Yeah, I mean absolutely. We're we're intellectually curious. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the left, they, they say they believe in free speech, but they do everything in their power to stomp it out. Yeah. And increasingly, they won't even say they believe in free speech. Um, yeah. and well, look, look at college campuses. I mean, right. that should be a, where free thought flourishes. Mm-hmm. And now you got the microaggressions and, you know, they're, they're you know, I, I think the professor that uh, invited Charles Murray. Wasn't, yes. You know, I mean, this is this is sick what's happening. Yeah. And it seems to me that a lot of the problems we're talking about here, tech, all of these things, I mean, I mean, you you said this, I think, to Wisconsin's um, NPR affiliate that if you question anything about January 6th or COVID, you're called a domestic terrorist and you're on the home. You're you're at the top of the Homeland Security Committee. Um, You know what domestic terrorism looks like. Do you think that there really is a push on the left to lump many people, normal people, average people under that domestic terrorism category. Are you seeing this at institutions like the FBI, former types, CIA types, people, the John Brennans of the world? Are you seeing this from your perch in the Homeland Security Committee? Yeah. So I'm I'm seeing it just as a citizen reading the news. Yeah. You know, watching the narrative. I mean, I got in a lot of trouble for this by pushing back on the thousands of armed insurrectionists. There there weren't thousands of armed insurrectionists. Right. You know, and to call that an insurrection is, I mean, that, that it's, it's doing a disservice to like a real insurrection. I mean, you take, you take a look at the Capitol and you have these people, the, the, the armed insurrectionists, staying within the rope lines. Some now, again, them, I, again yeah. I don't deny the violence that occurred. It was repugnant. The mm-hmm. racial slurs were repulsive. I condemned it that day. Mm-hmm. I continue to condemn it. Conservatives condemn that violence. We condemn all violence. But at the same time, I also defend whether it's the, the peaceful protesters during the summer or the vast majority of the peaceful protesters on January 6th. I'll, I'll defend their right to do that. That's their constitutional right. Um, but again, that's not allowed. So one of, the, one of the reasons that, and it's actually amazing that the term thousands of armed insurrectionists took hold so quickly. Yes. It's almost like, it's almost like it was planned. Okay, to so say, hey, this, you know, anything happens here, this, everybody on board with that? Right. Now, the reason it, it took hold is because it works for so many people. It, it certainly works for anybody who was in charge of or responsible for capital security. And that's congressional leadership. That's the leadership of, you know, the security services, the Capitol Police. Because what could they have possibly done mm. to secure the Capitol, prevent a breach, 
in the face of thousands of armed insurrectionists. Well, we first first blew off, you know, blew away the, the armed portion when I asked the FBI witness in, in one of our hearings. So, okay, how, how many guns were confiscated either in or around the Capitol? Right. I had no idea. You know, she, and when she said zero, it's kind of a mic drop moment. <laughs> um, so again, that, again, I, I recognize that the summer protesters did teach America how you can use frozen water bottles and. Uh, you know, flagpoles and other hard objects as weapons. I got that. But most people, when they hear armed, they think of firearms. And that just wasn't the case. There was only one shot fired, and that was fired at Ashley Babbitt, and she tragically perished that day. We're happy to be sponsored today by the Novus Society at Donors Trust, a program for aspiring philanthropists that can help you get started as a young giver and connect you to like-minded peers. So with the holidays around the corner, you are likely starting to reflect on all you've achieved this year and even maybe those things that slipped through the cracks. As you begin this period of reflection, consider taking another look at what you're doing with your charitable giving. Do you normally wait until the end of the year and frantically punch in credit card numbers before the ball drops? Maybe you missed your year-end giving entirely. That is until New Year's resolutions are all anyone is talking about and you vow that this year you will make time for giving. If that sounds like you, you should talk to the folks at the Novus Society at Donors Trust. Novus Society is a program for young philanthropists under 40 to dip their feet into strategic charitable giving so their gifts can make a larger impact all while making things easier and simpler. With Novus Society, you get a team of trusted philanthropic advisors to help you learn how to develop your giving goals and strategy for long-term success. A community of peers who share your principles, as well as access to the fastest growing giving tool on the market, a donor-advised fund. Donor-advised funds can help you simplify your giving as well as maximize your tax advantage. Make giving a priority this year by letting Novus Society at Donors Trust help you level up your charitable goals. Go to novussociety.org slash federalist. That's novussociety.org slash federalist to see how Novus Society can help you grow your impact as a young philanthropist. So if you're old enough, you'll remember how back in the early 2000s, Blackberries just revolutionized the way we communicate. But it wasn't long before Steve Jobs and Apple, of course, thought they could outperform them with a phone of their own. In an all new season of Business Wars, you'll hear about how Blackberries and iPhones battled for their shares of the emerging mobile phone market. It seems standard now, but Blackberry's ability to allow users to text and send emails was a major game changer at the time. They really were the first mobile devices that could sync work emails to a phone, so for the first time, people weren't chained to their desks. So as the gold standard, every power player from D.C. to New York City to L.A. had a BlackBerry. But just when they thought they had the market cornered in 2007, Apple came in and launched the iPhone. On Business Wars, iPhone versus BlackBerry, you'll hear how BlackBerry, the phone favored by presidents, Wall Street, and top government officials, spurred Apple to push the envelope by developing technology that would usher in the future of phones, putting the power of smartphones in the pockets of billions worldwide. This is a fascinating story. There's so much relevance to today when we look back and see how this battle developed. I can't recommend it enough. Listen to the Business Wars iPhone versus BlackBerry podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Do you think we are getting any closer to understanding what involvement uh, intelligence agencies may have had um, to the extent that they had forewarning about January 6th and you've connected it to the plot in Michigan to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and bring her to your state of Wisconsin, which we know was influenced by FBI informants. Are we getting any closer to under having a better understanding of what may have happened on January 6th? I'm hoping so. Um, you know, one of the things I had my my staff do, and is because because I, I think the American public needs to have the truth about what happened. They, they need a, a full accounting of exactly what happened on January sixth. You know, all of it, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, so I sent my staff in to review the video. It hasn't always been easy. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not sure whether we can view any more video or not. But we did uncover the fact that uh, more than 300 people. Uh, entered a door that was opened 
for somebody to exit once the door is open, 300 people streamed in, no violence. They just came in into the... Um, as you're starting to see more journalists look into these things and start identifying people in the crowd that even the crowd at that point in time were yelling, you know, federal agent. You know, they were suspicious <laughs> yeah. of them then. You know, I, I entered J. Michael Waller's eyewitness yes. account yep. into our hearing record. Of course, immediately after the hearing, Amy Klobuchar goes out and calls me a conspiracy theorist. Mm. So, well, I'm just... <laughs> What's conspiracy theory about an eyewitness account from a very knowledgeable and trained observer? Right. Okay. But by the way, his testimony, his eyewitness account is really standing the test of time. Yeah. And he initially wrote it for the Federalist. Yeah, um, and then precisely. Yeah. That's I think I entered your uh, your article in there. So, again, what what is the news media? What what are the Democrats? What, what are congressional leadership? What are you know? What are they afraid? What truth are they afraid of here? So again, as as we as more journalists are looking into this, as we see the complete disparity in treatment, yes, of the January sixth, you know, it's, it is a, it is a travesty of justice. I, it it truly is. I mean, I'm, I, I saw uh, you know one one of the attorneys, one of the, one of the good ones, uh, on an evening show, and they're talking about this this red man. I think they call him. Uh, so more and more, more and more suspicious characters are coming to light. Um, you know, this this guy supposedly was handing out devices. Mm. Uh, the people that got the devices have been charged. This individual hasn't. Right. You know, how hard is he to identify? I mean, they got you know. So you know, there, there, there's. I think there's a lot more. There's a much larger story to be told about January sixth than what the media, the social media, our agencies are willing to. Admit and you know, let's face. It, I, I investigated the corrupt FBI investigation of the Hillary Clinton email scandal. It's just and that just continued in the same cast of characters through the the yeah. Russian hoax and you know just all you know. So probably better than any American, I understand the corruption within the intelligence community, within the Department of Justice, within the FBI. I mean, the slow walking in my subpoenas, never com never complying with it. Uh, the, the the fact that the FBI through an interagency group set me up for a hit piece in the Washington Post. Yeah, they love doing that. You know, so I knew I was being set up at the time. They, 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 you know, I'm walking back to my office and my staff, hey, you've you got to go to this FBI briefing. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, got a briefing. So you get down there and it's, you know, to warn me that I could be a target of Russian misinformation. Go, okay. Um, first of all, I didn't need to ever be briefed on Russia's tactics. I, I held three hearings as chairman of the yep. Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee on Europe mm -hmm. on Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation. I know their methods. Right. You know, I, I, I've been to Ukraine. I know the corruption in Ukraine. I, I know to take with an enormous grain of salt anything I hear from Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we go in this briefing and they're, you know, okay, I'm a target. Okay, well, what intelligence, I mean, show me the detail. What, what do you, why are you saying this? Well, can't show you that. <laughs> well, we're here, you know, I've got a security clearance. We're classified setting. Show me what you got. Well, we can't do that. Okay, who told you to, who told you to give me this BS briefing? Yeah. Oh, well, inter, interagency process. So, well, okay, there are people in these agencies. I want names. Mm. Here we are over a year later. And both Chuck Grassley and I, who been who have been accused of soliciting and disseminating Russian disinformation, nothing could be further from the truth. By the way, an intelligence product produced by Democrats, classified, leaked to the media, so the media could write nasty stories before we come out with our Hunter Biden uh, report. Because mm -hmm. again, they're trying to marginalize in anticipation of our report being damaging. Because they, they know they know what a. What a scumbag! Let's, let's, you know, what, yeah. you know what a what a, what a horrible person Hunter Biden is. Okay, they know that. They know they they wanted to marginalize our report. How okay? do you how do you clean up corruption in these agencies when it's so entrenched? It's 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 you know I I, I call it the deep state because it's very deep. It's very pervasive and and it's populated by not conservatives, not people that revere the Constitution and will not overstep their constitutional authority. It's Populated by people that support the Democrat Party, mm. which is why they did everything they could to resist President Trump his entire four years. I mean, the evidence is clear. Two weeks into, into office, ERU was having two telephone conversations with world leaders leaked. Yes. You know, the whole Colonel Vindman, 
you know, leaking to the whistleblower, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the, the people on Adam Schiff's staff that used to be with the NSC and then goes to Adam Schiff's staff, you know, the cooperation between Schiff's staff and the whistleblower. I mean, th- this is corrupt. In this conversation about censorship, I think, raises the reality that we don't share a basic set of facts anymore. I mean, there's Mandela Barnes is going and he, he said that you say the racist part out loud. He compared you to Archie Bunker. You mentioned that Senator Klobuchar referred to you as a conspiracy theorist, and she's hardly alone um, in, in giving you that designation. We don't agree on basic terms. We don't agree on how to define any of these things. We don't share that as a country anymore. Is that different from when you first got into office in, in 2010? Have, have things dramatically changed or was that always under the surface um, ready to sort of break into the public conversation? I, I think the left has definitely gotten more bold. Um, you know, Democratic politicians can pretty well rely on the fact that the press will back them up. You know, I remember a couple of times when President Obama was actually asked kind of a tough question. First of all, it's kind of shocking, and he was shocked. Right, you could tell. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, if, if he's if he could, you know, communicate silently, it's like you know, you know, you're not supposed to be asking yes. these questions. You know, what, you know, I'm a Democrat, um, so I think that the media, the social media, has just gotten more bold, and and, and they were they were loosened. You know, they're set loose with the, the uh, election of Donald Trump. I mean, they, they publicly said it. Yeah. So now we don't have to be biased anymore. We can't be biased. <laughs> you know, we, we have to save this country from Donald Trump. So we have to, you know, shed all pretense of being unbiased. And, and now we'll advocate. And that's, you know, I've been saying that for quite some time, that we don't have, jur- by and large, journalists anymore in the mainstream media. They're advocates. Mm-hmm. When they interview me, it's not an interview. It's an argument. Right. Ch- check out some of my appearances in Chuck Todd. And compare <laughs> yes. the way Chuck Todd argues with me versus the way he interviews a Democrat. So why do you keep talking to Chuck Todd would be well, the obvious I mean, question. You, 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 you know, there's some value in preaching the choir because you get got to keep our side interested so that they show up and vote and they stick right. Otherwise, they just completely get alienated. Okay, sure. So you have to talk to them. But you have to reach out to the other side too mm-hmm. and, and hopefully break through. I mean, hopefully people that, you know, a lot of people, again, still the, the main majority of Americans get their news from social media. They, they, you know, if they, to the extent they watch Sunday news programs, I mean, that's mainstream America doing that. So hopefully there'll be enough people in mainstream media that will understand how grossly unfair it is. When, when I go on there and, and it's just like, I can't even complete a sentence and he's arguing with me, he's rebutting everything I say, falsely rebutting. Yes. And, and then, then he brings on somebody like Sandra Klobuchar and hey, Sandra, Talk about how great you are in your programs. Yes, are. yes. Then sits back for you know five minutes and right. you know it's, it's 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 really that stark a contrast. Right. No, I mean it's great for journalists to argue with politicians, but you have to do it on both sides. You can't just argue with the conservatives. Um, Senator Johnson, it has to be miserable miserable to be a Republican here in Washington D.C. Why on earth would you even think about doing it for another six years? In 2010, I ran it because I ran because I was panicked for our nation. Mm-hmm. It's just true. I mean, I, I was panicked. Uh, 2016, it was, it was my full intention and my wife's to serve a second term and go home. Right. Um, now here we are at the end of 2021. I'm, I'm way more panicked for this country. I, I mean, I, 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 I wish I could be more uplifting, but I'm way more panicked for this country. And unfortunately, who else is advocating for the vaccine injured? Who else is advocating for early treatment? Hmm. Who, who's actually questioning the, the, the safety of the vaccines? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not anti-vax. I was a big supporter of Operation Warp Speed. I thought it was brilliant the way that was developed in record time. But again, being connected to these medical experts, there were people expressing concerns before they even got the emergency use authorizations. You know, it's probably not real smart to vaccinate into a pandemic. You're just asking for variants. You're asking for mutations to evade the vaccine. No. So it's just it's not a, it's not an intelligent way to do that. Now, I, know, I realize that's a second opinion, but that second opinion is not allowed. So n- now take a look at this a year later and you have to look. I, I went on the floor of the Senate, I created a chart where I had percent vaccinated and, you know, we had the pandemic kind of winding down at the first of the year. 
you know, if the, if the vaccine worked, it would right. have just kept tailing off into oblivion, right? And that's what the experts it's expected. not what happened. Right. So here we are in 2021, about the same number of deaths as we had in 2020, and we've had the vaccine. Right. And we got 900,000 vaccine injuries on VAERS, 19,500 deaths. Um, again, I'm, I'm not going to talk about all the information I I read from these medical experts, but there are some serious concerns. There, listen, I'm all for early treatment. The FDA just had an advisory panel on molnupiravir. This is Merck's yes. drug, okay? Um, that vote was 13 to 10. Mm. Uh, I just listened to about an hour, 20-minute podcast of somebody analyzing. I didn't re- listen to the whole FDA advisory. Um, There's some serious concerns about this drug. Mm. So is, is the FDA just under political pressure? Right. And it's behest of big pharma because, right. th- again, this is Molnupiravir, according to the, yeah, we don't know exactly what's going to be charged, but it looks like about $700 a treatment, $700. Mm. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, multi-drug protocol, probably 20 to 50 bucks max, you know. And one final question before you run, Senator Johnson. Um, I'm from the Waukesha area, so I wanted to ask you. You, you said that uh, part of what we saw in Waukesha was the result of democratic governance, and it's hard to argue that when you look at what happened with Chisholm. Um, what's your reaction to the more we've learned uh, in the last couple of weeks about this man's record um, and why he was out in the streets? Well, I, I said, I think the Tuesday morning afterwards, I was on a Fox News, Fox and Friends, I said that the tragedy of this, it just didn't have to happen. It didn't, right. it didn't, ha- it shouldn't have happened. Those people should be alive. Mm. Their lives should be as they were before that Sunday, before that parade. It just, it just shouldn't, it's, it's just, it's so outrageous that this happened. I, I, I attended a couple of reviews um, this Saturday, went, went down to the interfaith uh, prayer vigil mm. the, the Monday night afterwards. Um, it it just shouldn't happen. It's so and it's so obvious why crime is up. Right. We have we have catch and release at the border. Um. So we have this record flood, and this isn't this isn't good for I mean, we have you know. So I I'd imagine don't stats on it. Probably record sex trafficking, record human trafficking, mm. record drug trafficking. Uh, from catch and release at the border. Well, we have catch and release by and large in a criminal justice system, primarily in Democrat jurisdictions. They're out of control. Where they're doing bail reform. I mean, you you see, yeah. You know, uh, you have riots in Minneapolis, and you got the now the sitting vice president of the United States encouraging people to donate to the bail fund to bail out the rioters so they go back and, what, burn down another police station? And then some of them end up in Kenosha. I mean, this, this is obvious. But again, going back to what I said about early treatment, the, the, the people who push these policies, just like the ones that sabotage early treatment, they'll never admit they're wrong. And it's the same group of people that are complicit in all this. It's the Democrats, it's the media, it's the social media. They've all been pushing, you know, low or no bail policies. They've, they've been pushing things like we're not even going to charge a, a shoplifting crime unless you shoplift more than a thousand bucks. So, so what happens? Mm-hmm. I mean, you go as a shoplifter, you go in and you, you know, you take your calculator and make sure you don't shoplift more than a thousand bucks. And then, then, it, then it goes beyond that to the, the what do they call it, snatch and grab or okay. Yeah, no, this is going great in San Francisco. So, or, so now it's organized. You know, prior to that, it probably was people, you know, going in there with little calculators go, okay, this is enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back in an hour. Right. I mean, you know, so that is so destructive to society. It's so destructive to those inner cities. And... I mean, you sit, sit sit back and go, well, you know, voters deserve what they vote for, you know. Mm-hmm. So those, but what's happening now, and that's, and this is well, so outrageous. You've, so you got Milwaukee, you know, moving toward being out of control. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And of course, they blame it on COVID, and you know, um, but now their crime is spilling over into. Waukesha. Less crime-ridden areas. I mean, nothing's crime-free. Right. And. As a result, you have, I don't know how many families, but, you know, 60, 70 people, you know, many grievously injured, six lost their lives. Three children are still in the hospital, I heard this morning. So, I mean, the good news is a lot of them have been released, but there's still serious injuries. It's going to take a long, their lives have been altered forever. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
Think of the children on the curb mm. that came to see Santa Claus instead saw a slaughter. Mm. I mean, think, think of the psychological harm that's irreversible. Mm-hmm. Think of that. But, but again, the news media, so they don't think about that. And you know, within days, it wasn't a person. That was a red car, a red SUV that killed those people. So, no, the media is complicit in this. They, they, are, they are a big part of the divisiveness of this country. They have propped up, supported pushed, got elected Democrats who now are in control that are opening our border, the embarrassing and dis- and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan, the, the out-of-control deficit spending, the increasing the debt, the, the runaway inflation, which will probably result in stagflation. I mean, this, this didn't just happen. This isn't, oh, gee, you know, here's a problem. We, you know, <laughs> we need more Democrat governance to solve. No, government, Democrat governance caused this. Mm-hmm. And the only reason the Democrats are in power is because the, the media and the social media are basically their communication department. They are on their side. They are advocates. Mm-hmm. They're not journalists. They are advocates. And they have enormous power. As I said before, what Russia and China tried to do to influence our election pales in comparison to what the news media is doing. So I hold the news media... Uh, highly responsible for the division of this country, for inflation, for crime, for all this stuff. I mean, they are, they are as responsible as Democrat governance, uh, you know, our, our education system, mm-hmm. which is, let's face it, the, the, the left has taken over our university systems. They, they are in control of educating our teachers and our journalists. Yes. Gee, I, gee I, I wonder why teachers are kind of left-leaning. Yeah. Why, you know, why, why we're teach, teaching critical race theory or 16, the 1619 Project. I wonder why that's happening. Could that be because you have radical left professors cranking out, you know, radical left teachers and journalists? Um, so so it, was the, it was their master stroke in the 60s during the Vietnam War protesters, protests. They took over our university systems, and now we're seeing the, the very sad result of all of that. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Today, stay.